Welcome back to Note Bene here back, back in Union the Square in the Pod Lab. What's going on? Your host, Benjamin Galtzel here, joined by Nate Freeman and our special guest host, uh, LA and Mexico City gallerist and former guest, Mills Moran. What's going on, Mills? I'm very happy to be guest hosting with you. It is great to finally have you as a guest host. You've been I've never a, been in the studio before. I know. And you know, you've been on the podcast twice. And now yeah. you are uh you know, elevated to co-host status. Elevated to co-host. I believe it was remote last time, right? You were on TV? Yeah, we had you on the Zoom and the whole thing. And I want to be clear that I'm a co-host because I can't take Johnny Carson's chair right away. Mm, but it's going right, to take yeah. me a little bit of time to fill yeah. the shoes. Yeah. No, um, yeah. I was going to be on sabbatical this week, but, um, you know, someone's got to steer this ship before it hits a rocky we shoal. We were so. rudderless with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so here we are, going to get right into it. Um, I'm a lot, just going, lot going on this week. Yeah, I mean, more in the news thing. I haven't really seen much of anything. You guys have seen more. We'll get to that. Um, I noticed that uh, Masterworks, which is a fractional art, not even not even ownership program, but investment vehicle, basically an art buying fund that is sort of crowdfunded, uh, raised a new round of fundraising mm-hmm. that valued the corporation at one billion, a billion dollars. dollars. A billion dollars. Uh. Um, so what does that actually mean? Nothing. It means nothing. Yeah, it means based on the you know based on what they sh- what they sold their right. portion of the company for you know if they sell 100 percent of the shares it that would have added up to a billion dollars. That the company's holding. I mean, what's what starts with B and ends with Ubble? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> rubble. No, wow, that's zing. <laughs> Barney Rubble. He's on fire, ladies and gentlemen. Absolute and look, fuego. I had my I had my tech friends some silicon valley friends like texting me about about this and they were just like what the fuck is masterworks like this thing like no one knows what this is like no one's ever heard of it like it seems but, like a complete joke and but, i was like well the art world doesn't take this seriously either so well, i also feel like every year or for the last 10 years or something like this that comes along and it's just mm. you know either fizzles out or has no um no staying power yeah i don't know about you think oh no that, that that's exactly it. it yeah this is is masterworks the new artsy is that what you're trying to say master baker <laughs> what <laughs> Um, I mean, so they also in their in the press around this, they they came out as being the biggest buyer uh, in the art market right now. I think that is um, provably untrue. Mm. Um, perhaps they're the biggest spray and pray buyer in the art <laughs> market right now. Um, they're definitely throwing money out there. They've contacted me over and over again with these blind emails from people I don't know, asking if I'd like to discuss any deals. Wow, um, which you get a lot from kind of shady art advisors, not really usually from companies that are uh, on paper worth a billion dollars. <laughs> right, one um, billion listen, dollars. You know, I've always. <laughs> said you know they may be doing some smart things there's yet no one has yet started a public art investment vehicle and or even semi-public and many have tried that has made money um they're certainly trying i'm happy to have dumb money in the marketplace sloshing around you know because capital is so hard to come by right now um so it's great to have someone like that as a potential counterparty um, but the main fact of it is every time and they, they, you know, I'm actually, I've subscribed and pretended that I wanted to invest cause I want to see what their lit looked like. And they go back and they show, Oh, this is the historical appreciation of Warhol. They don't say which body of Warhol's work or, or Jean-Michel Basquiat or whichever one they've used. I'm not saying they've used Warhol in specific. And they show you a 30 year term. It's like, wow, this has beat every other market segment for alternative or, or traditional investment. But the fact of the matter is one picture, one Jean-Michel painting is painting A and painting B, they're not the same painting. Just because yeah, you bought it, and just because you bought into that. And furthermore, a lot of those amazing prices that were achieved were achieved by collectors that may have ended up having billion-dollar collections, but they didn't start out with investment as their main strategy. 
they started out as passionate, somewhat insane people buying crazy art that in 30 years was worth a fuck ton of money. Now, is there minimums to get into this fund for no, no. consumers? I, mean, you, I think you can pop you in like, any, yeah. I, I might be, it might be a $10,000 buy and you might need to be an accredited investor, meaning you can prove that you have li- liquid assets over a certain so amount. So do you think this ties in in any way to NFTs, sort of digital assets, uh, crypto, yeah. you know, is it all sort of the same thing at this point? I think that... that- you know, the amount of money that people were spending on NFTs has certainly gotten other investors excited about, like, any sort of, like, digital presence in the art space. But, you know, I don't really follow that. So I mean, I mean, real, real, real quick. I mean, this is what, the, this is what the, the people dial in for. I think there is not so much to NFTs that's true, but you've seen across the investment spectrum, you've seen things that have seen, been seen previously as only attainable by the ultra, ultra wealthy right. as investment and possibilities. Now an and now you have this kind of democratization of finance. I think that comes in with, with a lot of different companies you see around there allowing you to invest in, you know, in, in people that are kind of arbitraging their in, inventory uh, and their, out, and their, their accounts <coughs> receivable, um, which is like a right. traditional way to earn to earn better than the kind of zero percent you're getting in bank accounts, right. but also just this general societal feeling of the pop, the, the popularization and uh, of of finance and, and populism in general. You know things like GameStop and and things mm-hmm. like that. I think it's very much linked to that. And just the notion, just the 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 kind of um, populism in politics writ large, and this kind of you right. know allowing information to flow. Anyway, it's silly. They're not the biggest whale in the art market, but I would be happy to sell them something, and I'm going to put next year. 15% on top. There you go. <laughs> um, speaking of waste of money, you can now uh, pay $200 a month to uh, straight into King of the Boomer, Josh Bear's pocket. Um, uh, actually, probably most of it's going to Lion Tree, who funded him. Mm-hmm. But uh, in order to get access to one of his greatest things, after every auction, he does a little write-up of the auction, and then he lists the underbidders as we know them for each lot. So it's not who won a lot and in an evening sale. But well, who might have bid on it that didn't get it? Oh, he he also reports the the winning bidders most of the time. Yeah, no, no, of course that's yeah. true. Yeah, but but okay. So what Josh does that is, I guess, valuable is that well, he does what any sort of art reporter does, you know, because I've been in the scrum with him. Basically, the auction house can't comment on private buyers. That is people who are not associated with the auction house. So that's everyone sitting in the seats, not on the rostrum. So what the reporters do is they see Larry Gojan raise his hand, and they know he's bidding on something. Uh, and that's like valuable information to their readers and to the art world at large. The problem is, you know, so Josh does this, like, you know, as his, like, main thing. Like, he doesn't really write about anything else. He just identifies the winning bidders in the audience and the underbidders. The problem is they're always bidding on behalf of anonymous clients these are you know so it's not like you're gonna have like steve cohen like just like, like in the middle of the scrum just like raising his hand you know so like even if larry or paris garcet or, or levy gory like buy something you're not gonna know where the artwork is and generally if it is a private individual they're bidding on the telephone with one of the auction house specialists sure. to so the notion was usually back in the day at least when i worked in auction house underbidders were great because if you had a similar picture by an artist that went high you could go to that underbidder who was almost willing to go to that price and mm-hmm. see if you could sell it to them and i think the the thought is that people what's, want what's to use the, this database to then, oh, I have this thing. But the problem is these things time out real fast. At least in my experience, if, an, if you don't get to that underbidder in six hours or less. Yeah, I've, that, that, that was my question. How wins. many of those actually convert? So a 10-year-old underbidder for something, I'm not <laughs> sure if there's an economic value to that. <laughs> no. Certainly not to, you know 1200 bucks a year. In my experiences, the, 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 bucks a year. very few of those underbidders convert, in my experience. And also the thrill of the auction, the thrill of the moment, the thrill of the gavel. Of course, yeah. is, there's 90% of Auction the, fever, baby. Yeah, auction auction fever. fever. And I, you know, I do make fun of Josh. 
Josh, but he is like he's a very sweet guy, and he's given me a lot of great career over the advice. So it's all in well, love. I will say also, it's it's a unique in our industry that somebody does something that nobody else does, right? And well, does it well. Yeah, I mean, not nobody. I mean, if you read like my auction reports from like you know when I was doing, but nobody reads straight, that But he's been doing it for. Th- <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's pretty boring. It's pretty boring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Like he I, makes I, it sexy. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I just think that you know. We've talked about paywalls in general here, and you know. Oh yeah, the paywall. But, the paywall. But, but you know, even more expensive than the Artnet paywall is the Artnet auction database, and you know, there is a lot of tangible, important you know information like on the Artnet da- database that like you know you can get immediately if you pay you know thirty five bucks a day, which is a lot of money. You know, it's a ton of money. You don't but- have the password that we all have. <laughs> no, they changed the password. Phillips and Gagosian changed the password kidding? on the yeah. same day, that's, that's and how, the, the entire art market back. ground to a halt for about forty eight hours. <laughs> that's how little I've been paying attention. Yeah, but I, I mean, look, like, yeah, again, Josh has always been nice to me. This seems like a fuck ton of money for just. I don't know what you get. I don't know. I, I set up when when you first went behind a paywall that ESPN is four dollars a month. Right, ESPN is four dollars a month, and you know what ESPN gets you? Like you can watch fucking games. You can man. Watch games. It's, it's yeah. great. It's yeah. like it's, it's a lot a very, of content. A lot, a lot of content. content. Yeah, a lot. Listen, of content. I'm I'm all for journalists getting paid. I just don't see an economic value in this. But he has to produce some sort of income because he got a bunch of outside investment, including Lion Tree Capital, that came in, uh, and they're trying to turn him into more of a brand because he started out as a real insider thing. Started out as a fax. Literally, he would write type up this thing when we were all in fucking middle school and he would fax it out to all the market players the next day they would pay for that and then convert it to an, an email that was sent from his AOL email account for a long time uh, and now this is the next step forward in trying to find a, a revenue possibility I just am slightly suspicious of this happy to be proven wrong um, I do want to uh, before we get to uh, before we get to our last little news item I just before I forget I want to give a thanks to a special listener who reached out to me um, I've had I've had uh, uh, a tough time of it in general, and and this was the smallest of the things. But my Instagram account in the p- space of six hours disappeared from the internet uh, for no some, reason. For no, for no. Well, they said that I was uh, impersonating myself. <laughs> Um, or impersonating someone and the the ability to get it back was so maddening and impossible the kind of system that they've created basically does not work Um, but through this person who's a listener of the podcast uh, I was able to connect with him and and, uh, he was able to guide me through the process not cut me any special favors but you know get all the right paperwork to the right people and uh, I'm feeling uh, not so blessed about a lot but about I'm I'm real happy to be able to spend hours mindlessly scrolling the internet again to take my mind off uh, my real world problems to the rescue what was it like to not have Instagram. It was freeing yeah. in a way. <laughs> sure. uh, I, I I had to like actually th- sit and think and listen mm-hmm. to my thoughts. And you, you know. read a book or yeah, I'm always reading a book. Come on, <laughs> listen. I'm not just a wit. I'm a public intellectual as well. Um, but uh, I'm happy to have it back. Happy to see all the nonsense out there and learn that uh, Nate, you got a little wax on your suit coat. It seems like the other night. What happened? Do you want to tell uh, the there listeners? Was a, a little mishap with a candle that uh, I mistook for a lighter <laughs> if you know what i mean <laughs> it happens <laughs> some spillage of wax on the jacket was this yeah, a dr happens. clark's it was dr clark's you know you know at, at an hour that i shouldn't have been there yeah but yes uh, my wife did dutifully uh, <laughs> uh report it's a delivering it's a delivery to the uh dry cleaners where yeah i'm mean, sure reported that public so that's why i don't feel i don't feel bad about bringing oh, it no, 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 it's i'm fine. pretty happy to never pour wax all over myself again god willing so, you know <laughs> just that one time <laughs> yeah yeah just, just looking for a small little brights of sunshine uh little little uh breaks in the clouds um also uh, freeze cork street has opened it was announced i don't know probably six nine months ago they were doing this uh building uh in is it in mayfair 
technically yeah, it's right. Mayfair. Mayfair. Right in the heart of um, So, uh, in addition to their obviously the art fairs, which are coming up uh, next week, they'll be opening up this building where galleries can rent a floor or a small space to do exhibitions outside of the usual time of the fair. So that I presume mostly out of town galleries uh, outside of London can can pop in and do and show their programs. Uh, to still, I would say the you know probably the one of the top cities for the art market. You guys have any thoughts on this? I mean, Mills, you're a gallerist, and you open a gallery outside your main city, which is Los Angeles. Yeah, well, that, which that's is more gallery that. expansion. This is a little bit different. I mean, yeah. this, this yeah. goes all the way back to like, you know, our old friend Joel Messler, friend of the pod, yep. rent, rental gallery. Um, you know, I don't think it's a groundbreaking idea. I don't think it ever has been. Um, if a gallery can get uh, a productive value out of this, why not? You know, it doesn't it doesn't really matter whether it's an auction house, an art fair, space to space. People need space. This idea of pop ups when I first started in this industry was the most, um, you know, taboo thing in the world. If right. you didn't have a gallery space, if you weren't in Chelsea or if you had you know, contextualized yourself as a Lower East Side gallery, L.A. gallery, you had to have that brick and mortar space or you were not getting all the benefits of being in the art world, getting into the fairs and doing all this shit. Mm-hmm. So um, this is just an expansion of that. I see nothing wrong with it, but it's also something I probably would never uh, do for my gallery. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, looking at some of the, the first, and I don't have it in front of me, but the, the first round of people, I think it's really appealing and helpful, maybe especially people that are, that their main gallery is really outside exactly. in Art World Hub. Yeah, right. Right. So you know, if you're somewhere in the Middle East or, or right. you know, or, 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 or further south in, in Latin America, um, I think it has a lot to go for. But if you're in LA, Los Angeles, London, yeah, you don't need it. You, don't, you probably don't need it. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, oftentimes I'm at, a fair and I'm kind of breezing through like certain parts of the fair where these very interesting galleries from, you know, uh, like sort of smaller hubs, you know, whether it be yeah, South America or uh, the Middle East, that they, they look like very interesting galleries, but you know, you can't really get the full uh, idea of their program right. just at a fair booth. You know, so the idea of like them having a gallery in the middle of Mayfair, just like you know, for a month or two, is I think really appealing for them because like people can actually get a facsimile of what the gallery experience is in their home city, but you know, in the middle of the busiest art neighborhood in the world, maybe. You know, so let's not forget too, like any opportunity for artists to have their work exposed in a city like Mayfair is just you know, it's not just about the gallery. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly good point, although. Then the somewhat cynical part of me also has to say, you know, one of the reasons that art fairs I don't think will go away is that they're a reason for galleries to get more product, more work from their artists. Mm-hmm. And I think this is another way to, you know, and if you don't have a reason to get new work from an artist, the artist might not be so keen on sending things through. Well, I think this the, is... The, the, the system, this ecosystem, the way it's churning, you have to have these fairs in order to... These galleries need the revenue. The rents have to be paid. You know, you need the deadlines. Artists need deadlines. Without deadlines, this, this thing slows down in a major way. Yep. So... Um, I would probably again never use the the Cork Street address, but I think it's a good thing. I think why I'm gonna not? check it out. It's it's more yeah. interesting to me than an online fair, certainly. Well, uh, anything and, in real life. And it's yeah. interesting. To, <laughs> it's interesting to see a fair kind of taking over and going this direction as another way to service their clients, which are the galleries. At the end of the day. At the end of the day, yeah. And uh, aside from the shows, they could I presumably have a back room where they could show more more artists from their program. Yeah, and, totally. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you know, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how the import. I mean, it's, it's hard enough to get a, a lorry driver in London. Let's see, let's see how the you know how they get this art <laughs> into the city, right? Um, yeah, let's figure that out. That's that's British English for truck for those listeners yeah. that don't know. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I did want to. Uh, oh well, but they're also I, another group from what I read is actually thinking of starting a similar thing here in New York City in the old um, Barney's flagship yeah. uh, mm-hmm. over on uh, on Madison, um, which I've been invited to go. A peak. Yeah, I'm gonna I, go next week with our mutual friend. Uh, with with Michael Woods. With Mike. Yeah. yeah um, I think that uh, you know I'm not in town next week, but I'm gonna check it out as soon as I can. Yep. 
it's a really really interesting model and um in addition to the sort of like yeah rental spaces or whatever you know the art spaces upstairs you know fred's is going to be uh a restaurant again it's gonna be like a sort of like members only club which is gonna be really cool yeah i actually can't say much more Ooh, ooh! <laughs> Don't touch that NDA, folks. Right. Wow, here we go. Now it's it's just getting interesting. We're gonna shut it down. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess from that, I'm gonna kind of step back because I haven't really been uh, on the scene much. So, but I know both of you guys went to go see Greater New York, which opened this week. What did you guys yeah, think? So, uh, so I'll go to Mills for what he thought yeah. about the show, and then maybe Nate can tell us about the social yeah, scene that was so, out there. You know, we um, saw you there. Was it Wednesday night? Wednesday we, night we overlapped yeah. for a very short amount of time. Yep. You. You were off to your sushi, your sushi I had dinner. To eat a lot of sushi. Um, you know, PS. I love Greater New York. It's yeah. one of my favorite exhibitions. Um, uh, I've had artists in the last two. They don't have any artists in there this time around. Um, PS One is as uh, fragmented and basically disorganized as a space. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Yeah, it um, is. So walking through and discovering all these different. Um, you know pockets and corners and you know trying to understand how you can show work in the space and 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 get a feel for some of the artists there was you know it's always one of my favorite shows um i had two really big standouts uh for my head um and they were both on the third floor one was tammy win she's um i know she went to yale and cooper and she uh she had these two large paintings and um the sort of book sculpture um they're they're these sort of allegorical paintings that deal with sort of politics and systems of living um really beautifully rendered and i got i got a chance to meet her and spend some time with her um but i really think the star of the show was andy robert and yeah. um the way his work was installed on the third floor it was, i believe it was three or four paintings and a work on paper um the amount of scale that they uh, the, the amount of wall space they took was incredibly impressive and i think he just owned that room mm-hmm. um and you know that to me was some of the highlights yeah, Andy's work was was certainly uh, a highlight for me too. It was just really powerful stuff, and it, yeah, it held its own in that gigantic room that also included uh, Yuji Yagametsu. That work was uh, incredible. That too. was really yeah, that room yeah. was the best room. Yeah, it was. That was yeah, definitely the best room. That was the show-stopping room. Yuji's work was was really amazing. It was a um, uh, a series of glass cabinets that contained uh, tiny little sculptures made from the debris he would find on each of his quarantine walks. And I don't think you're describing it well. There was how many of them? Like 336. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and it took up the entire yeah. wall, which it's, had to be 40 or 50 feet yeah, long. Yeah, I mean, this is part of a yeah. long-standing practice of his, even yeah. predating yeah. the quarantine, yeah. where he walks around the city of New York yep. uh, and collects little bits of detritus, I would call it, yep. and mm. puts them in cigarette cellophanes, one cigarette yep. cellophane for each day. Beautifully installed. And then collects it like a, yeah. like a, you know, a vitrine almost, like kind of a, an ad hoc yeah. vitrine. You um, know, I was talking to Kate Fowl, the director of PS1, um, about like what the, the sort of impact and power of the show is, and... I think that it, it, you know it's worth saying that this show is up through April of 2022. This show is up for a long time, which means that a ton of people will get to see it. And that gives these artists a lot of exposure, more exposure than they could ever get from a gallery show because um, you know it's just up for such a long time because it's only you know staged every five years. You know, it's, it's actually been six years since the last one because of the pandemic. So um, I think that that gives this, you know, maybe even more than the triennial or the winning biennial, it gives these artists so much exposure that it kind of really establishes a new sort of base for them. Every gallerist, when the list comes out, they start scrolling through every name. Mm-hmm. They start Googling every single name. Yep. They start trying to figure out, mm-hmm. you know, this is just a major moment for all those artists. It really is. Yeah. And like, I'm excited to see it happen to some extent later this month at the new museum and the next year with the Whitney but you know this show is really special so any comments on the social side of the yeah, who's there any celebrities 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there was. A, I mean, a, I, I know you know the column's up, so we can read a little bit about it uh, mm-hmm. on VanityFair.com. Yeah. But anything you want to cue our listeners into to, to make them want to go go make that. Well, click? I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to give too much away the column, but I, I sort of wrote about the um, this sort of uh, hush hush, but but like open secret of how sales are conducted at Greater New York, uh, which is not something that's really discussed a lot because obviously it's like a sort of very curated uh, uh, survey, uh, and it's kind of just like a. A no-no to talk money, but you know, I, I did get a lot of people, t- you know, to tell me how the mechanics of placing work from the show works. Um, but also, yeah, I, I, I spotted some, you know, arts patrons and collectors and 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 movers and shakers at the at the opening party that we were at on Wednesday, which was really nice event. <coughs> I mean, you could say that about every museum show. The, the, mm-hmm. the, how no, the sausage is made. Yeah. And how I mean, the, how the oh, works are placed. Go and look at those labels to find the ones <laughs> exactly. that are courtesy of the artist in whatever right. gallery. And you yep. can tell, <laughs> when, <laughs> you can tell who's in a room when they're going up to paintings and staring at the labels first and not the, not the actual work. Yes. Hey, no. <laughs> hey. I worked in an auction house. I can't I help it. But it's, it's, yeah, it's a dirty secret. And it's kind of fun to, to look at that side of, of, of what was truly a great, uh, I thought a, a great show. And actually, the Times review was not, is, is effusive. Unkind. It's great. It's yeah. it was it was as harsh as those reviews get. I think. But it was also. I, I mean, I, I know. I know it was the though. opening night of Carnegie Hall, and I think that was the art plaster above the fold of the, of the cover, of the front section, of the Friday art section, of the Times today. This was like tucked way deep back in the in that section. Oh, today I didn't even in the look paper. at it in print. Yeah, some of us are old men and take the take the hard copy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, that seemed like it should have been the below the fold story for for me. I mean, yeah, I agree. Greater New York is greater fucking New York. Yeah, man. it's it's important. I mean, well, I don't know. I don't know what Barbara Graustock and her crew were thinking. You know, is that who is the editor of the art section? Who even knew? <laughs> if you're not the editor of the food section, three I don't know. Listening, we'll get if, that. if you're <laughs> that's uh, inside baseballs again. We have three Sorry. listeners. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them, one of them's a tech tech nerd. Everything's turning up. Um, did you see anything yeah. else this week, Nick? You know what? I, I, I didn't really. I was sort of just engaged with um, just social obligations. Um, I did see the Peter Bradley show that opened in Karma last night, which is very good. Definitely that show looks it. amazing. Those yeah. prices are insane. <laughs> Even more yeah. amazing. I'm sorry, B, but I and I, I'm sh- you know they will all sell. Uh, he's an important, underrecognized uh, African American artist who was working in the abstraction, you know, in a similar parallel time um, uh, to Sam Gilliam and, and folks like that. So certainly a story that should be told, and they should be worth a ton of money. But you know, the, those are quarter million dollar pictures. It seems like, um, and. Uh, yeah, I was just they're, bummed. They're, I'm just bummed I can't afford one for myself. I guess is they're what I'm really, to say. really powerful and amazing. And like, yeah, like I had seen pictures and stuff, but like being in the gallery doesn't really prepare you for them. They're really, really wonderful. Yeah, I was blessed. Uh, I don't know, maybe six months ago, to spend some time with Brendan, uh, looking through a couple of books and seeing a couple mm-hmm. of smaller examples uh, on the wall, and was blown away because, truth be told, it was not a practice I was familiar with. And yeah. you know. Um, uh, all joking aside, Brendan is quite good at finding uh, unrecognized talents, and but then really explicating them and making them uh, you know, available to someone Absolutely. like me. Uh, yeah, and uh, fun fact, you know, his daughter Garrett Bradley was there. Garrett is the Oscar-nominated filmmaker, now represented by Listen Gallery, wow. who has a solo show next week uh, at Freeze. Wonderful I three not, videos. I did not know that. Yeah, I know. It's so very he, cool. So I think um, in terms of programming for the week it was a pretty slow week in terms of in terms of seeing shows um mm-hmm. tell us what you're looking forward to next week well i mean you'll, so, you'll be the so only much. one in london in this group there is there's so much going on in london what are some of your highlights what are you looking forward to Ooh, um i mean i think the anika ye uh turbine hall sorry the hyundai commission they're, they're supported very, by several other important arts yeah, patrons i, know. I will <laughs> say <laughs> um 
uh, honestly, I, I'm, I, that's always like a highlight, like the Termite Hall thing. But like, I think Annika is like going to really turn it up. She's given a few interviews already that make me very excited to see it. Did you read the Guardian piece? Mm-hmm. That yeah. was a great interview yeah, with her. So it was really, really good. So um, that has to be, I guess, number one. It's also Monday, so it's like kind of the first thing that I'm going to be doing. Um, a lot of great shows that are opening, though. Um, you know, a lot of presentations at the the, the the fair that I'm looking forward to. Um, a few events this time. You know, it's it's just it's gonna be good to be back in London. Really. Yeah, I'm I'm really sad to miss uh, Darren Fluke is reopening his oh, uh, gallery in, in more central London. He was out east for a while, and uh, we you know, <coughs> we'll have to have him on remotely. We were gonna do a, an in person interview, but I uh, I cannot be in London next week. So I'm excited to see what he has going on. Carl Costiel has a great looking show. Oh yeah, all the big galleries obviously are bringing the big so, guns. All, yeah, I mean I uh, just, Noah, Noah Davis show is oh, Werner. The, Davis, the preview yeah. looks the Werner show incredible. Helen's over there installing. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, yeah how's it? Um, I wonder how's you've been in London recently. How is London in terms of just uh, the city life, moving around? Yeah, there's, eating, there's no COVID there. There's no COVID in there's London. No COVID that's, there. Good. that's good. Yeah, yeah. I, that's I mean extent. a little bit too much so. I mean, no one you go into oh, the, really? you go into the the drugstore or whatever. Like, there's no know, no mass. I walked into my hotel. Lo- I think I talked about this, but I walked into my hotel lobby uh, a few weeks ago, about a month ago, and um, yeah, I was like, had my mask on. The lady. It was like you, you can take that off. Cards and stuff. No, not at all. Wow. So. So changing the subject a little bit, you know, a year ago, I was really kind of considering this moment in the art world in this fall, and everything's crunched together, right? So <clears throat> I was curious about, uh, from your standpoint, Ben, um, you're getting the previews, you're getting the PDFs. Nate and I don't get those. Mm-hmm. I send them. He just writes about them. <laughs> um, based on Basel being very, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, other art fairs, Fiat coming up and Miami coming up, what's the quality that you're seeing in some of these presentations? Um, I mean, it's generally pretty high. I have yeah. to say, I f- actually feel like, and I don't want anyone to get mad at me, because um, it was great stuff in Basel, and I, I was able to get some tremendous things on behalf of clients. But I think people, it feels like there's more of a critical mass for going to freeze in London yeah. than there was in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like people definitely saved some things. The people yeah. that did yeah. both. That's been the hardest part as a gallerist. Yeah. I'm literally putting things away from Miami. But I mean, yeah. there's definitely going to be many, many more Americans there just based yeah. on, uh, you know, people say, hey, well, I see you over there, you know, uh, inviting you to this thing or that. Um, yeah, I think I think London's going to be a, a real back to school moment for yeah. the art world, uh, even more so than Basel was. I mean, we're Basel, cr- Basel is for the true heads, but even the casual fans. We're, will be in we're crunching three major art fairs in like sixty to ninety days. I mean, it it literally broke me, uh, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, I mean, I think that next week will be a critical mass. I mean, the number of shows that are opening in that city is just mind blowing. I don't think that that New York has had that many high profile shows open at the same time. Um, I guess a month ago uh, when we had the Army show, there was something similar. But still, it just seems like people are really going nuts. Yeah, I guess another way to look at it is there was a segment, there was a kind of artist that just didn't want to show during the pandemic. Yeah. they And they would have rather wait <clears throat> wait for the shows to get foot traffic and get eyeballs. And I think that's what's happening now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's that's what we're seeing in London. And I think that's what we're going to be seeing in New York. You know, the last, I mean, last I haven't seen, I feel bad. I haven't seen any art in New York in a week and a half, two weeks, really. Um, from you guys' perspective on the ground, anything other that we haven't spoken about that is a must-see? I mean, John Curran. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I've yeah, seen the John Curran. Yeah. I've seen Lisa Uscovage, yeah. um, I think, which are two great shows. I didn't see them back-to-back, but I think it would be interesting to counterpoint those two right. um, exhibitions, obviously. I mean, go see Greater New York. You yeah. Know? yeah. At the yeah. Gra- everyone should go see Greater New York. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't and seen then, it, go as fast as you can. Uh, and then go to this, this sandwich shop a few blocks away called Tropo Stretto. I had one of the Dober sandwiches I've had in a long time. Tell me about it. It's, it's in... It's like a takeout window that's operating out of this bar called Dutch Kills, which is like a few blocks away. 
and they just give you these massive Italian sandwiches that are just like topped with like so much incredible. Yeah, I'm sold. I'm sold. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. All right, I'm there. So, That's all so I need I, right I now. My life. After that, huge Italian. I'm sub. doing a lot of heavy eating right now. I was dreaming of an Italian sub today, but I couldn't yeah. find one. For Go to Tropo Stretto in the Dutch Kill space. Go to Greater New York. All right. After After Greater New York, because right. you're going to want to take a nap after the sandwich. That feels good for my soul. Hopefully, we'll link and connect next week while you're in London, Nate, Let's and be able it. to do a remote pod. I, and I I'm think planning we'll have, a special guest for next yeah, week. Yeah, and, and oh, Mills, right. Mills will be a, a, have a special guest Love on it. right here in this couch. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you see back next time. Bye, everybody. Noto bene. Oh. oh.